This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Yeah, so I, um, interesting, you know, I've been, I, the, the sort of one-off things like this, I don't have this uh, super, I try to leave spots in the preaching calendar where I don't have things like super planned out. Um, which in, for me is kind of hard. But having these little holes was really nice last week. It was, we didn't know we were going to get a foster kid in God's timing. We got a foster kid and someone came and helped him preach on Sunday. That just like literally the Lord just worked that out. Like that was amazing. I was thankful for that. And over the last year and a half or so, I've been doing some just kind of reading in Proverbs. And I was, as I was thinking about what to talk about this Sunday um, and just the general chaos of my life, Um, throwing a toddler into it when there wasn't a toddler in it three weeks ago. Um, It just felt like uh, it was, it was really encouraging me. It was really helping me. It was really giving me um, a a recourse maybe to go in sort of like the craziness of things. And I was, I was praying, I was hoping that this morning I would give you guys a chance uh, to hear and benefit from some of the things that I've been learning from in Proverbs, just uh, through my, you know, through my own struggles. And I, was reading a commentary a few weeks ago and he said, the commentator said something like, Jesus is a genius. Jesus is a genius. And he quoted Jesus in the gospels where where Solomon is like, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. Solomon asked God for wisdom and God said, Solomon will be the wisest person to exist ever on the planet, ever on the planet. And he wrote the Proverbs, and, 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 and you probably have seen more Proverbs in places that you don't even realize because the, the genius of Solomon is what gives us some of the pithy little statements that we, that we share with each other from the book of Proverbs. But when Jesus shows up, he says something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. And I, I liked the connection there that the, the author made. He said, Jesus is a genius. He's smarter than you. He's smarter than the smartest guy you know. He, he's not, I mean, we've talked about him being gentle, uh, reading a book called Gentle and Lowly um, with some other pastors. Um, that's circulated here. We talk about him being our savior, um, being patient with us, which he, he is. He's wonderful. We talk, about, um, we talk about him being humble. He humbles himself he, uh, to the point of death on a cross. He, he is a, a humble savior. But I don't hear the phrase very often, he's so smart. Like Jesus is a genius. Jesus is the smartest person around. And we don't think about that very much. And so we're going to be in uh, Proverbs mostly this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'll just encourage you to open it to the book of Proverbs. We're going to hit a couple of other passages here and there, and we'll have those on the screen. But for the most part, we'll sort of be in Proverbs. So it's, it's interesting because Proverbs is royalty, Solomon, the king. Proverbs is royalty, writing wisdom and sharing wisdom to the next in line. And if you look at verse one, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching. He's the king. He's the king talking to the next in line. And he says, my son, my son, do not forget my teaching. And if you look back in chapter two, he says the same thing. My son, if you receive my words. And even in chapter one, verse eight here, my son, your father's instructions. So here is King Solomon pleading with his son to listen. Here's royalty, 
speaking to the next in line in saying, I need you to consider the wisdom that God has given me. My son, heed my instructions. My son, listen to my instruction. And what's fascinating about that is we jump ahead into the New Testament. Who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Jesus Christ. Who is the, the, the one who is, is teaching wisdom? Who is the one who is greater than Saul? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. And what Paul does, and we're going to look at uh, Romans real quick. I think it's Romans 8. And then we should have that on the screen. Paul picks up on this idea that Jesus is royalty, and he, and he talks about this idea of sons. And starting in verse 12, and I'll just read this section and make a couple of comments, because this is important. As we look at Proverbs, and it says, my son, heed my instruction. My son, his royalty speaks to the next in line and says, this is wisdom that you need for life. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Uh, there's parallels there with, with foolishness, but he goes on to, to sort of contrast that with the spirit, this new life that we have in Christ. He says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Amen. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And it's interesting that idea of sonship has like a handful of different uh, connotations in, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this idea of sonship. And so if you're thinking, well, what about me, um, daughters of the king? What, what, what about me, daughters of the king? There's a footnote in your Bible that it, it translates that a lot of times. It says uh, sons or daughters. So there's like a little footnote to try to tell you because the main emphasis, if, if you were, if you were uh, living in uh, ancient times, and you were bequeathing everything that you've accomplished as a, as a king, you were the heir of all that you have done, the heir of all that you've done is almost always the firstborn son. So this idea of sonship is, is, is more tied to, maybe not more, but is equally tied to heir. Like you are the heir of all the things that the father is, is giving to the next one. You are the heir. You're, you are the one where he says, my son, he, when, when, the, when the royal line... When Jesus, our king, is, is sharing with us and saying, my son, heed my words. It's yes. just like Solomon. It's just like Solomon looking down at his kid and saying, listen to me. I have all this wisdom and I want to impart it to you. I want you to know it. You, because I poured out my spirit and you're an heir, because you're the next in line, because you're that valuable, I want you to heed my wisdom. And he goes on to say, and ties these together in this passage. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here it is, if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If you have the spirit... If your eyes are open to see the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ, you are an heir to the throne. Amen. You're an heir to the throne. Jesus says for, for in the book of Revelation, for those who persevere, they will sit on my throne as I have sat on the throne. Like there, there is a sense in which because you're united to Jesus, 
everything that he earned, everything that he did right to earn his place in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because you have that now, you've earned it. That's crazy. You're the heir. And now as Jesus is sitting and ruling and reigning on his throne, we go back to Proverbs and Jesus is speaking to you as royalty. And he's saying, my son, do not forget my teaching. I want you to know. I want you to have wisdom. He goes on to say, but let your heart keep my commandments. Why? Because there's length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Peace. Peace they will add to you. I think we all could use a little bit of that. And he's saying, listen, my heir, the one who is gonna sit on the throne as I sit on the throne, I wanna share with you my commandments. I want you to hear and respond to what I'm saying so that you would have peace. So that you would have peace. So how do we, how do we gain wisdom from Jesus? If Jesus is, is such a genius, if he is so um, intelligent, if he's so smart and we're heirs, what, what are some, how, how do we get that wisdom from him? How do we benefit from the genius of Jesus? And uh, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are almost like trying to convince you that wisdom is a good thing that comes from the Lord. So it's like nine chapters of just sort of like laying out the, the, the dangers of folly and the, the benefits of wisdom. So it's like, let me first convince you of all of these wonderful things that wisdom is about so that you could embrace it and learn from and grow from the genius of Jesus so that you could have length of days, so that you could have a measure of peace because Jesus is looking at you and just saying, hey, my son, my daughter, I'm smarter than you and I'm sharing with you. I'm, I'm trying to get you to learn so that you would have peace. So there's four things we're gonna kind of touch on. And I imagine the, the first two will probably be longer and we'll hit the second, the second two a little bit faster because it's, it, uh, it's an important uh, the first one's really important, this idea of bind and write. So if you're in Proverbs, look at verse three. He's, he's encouraging us here to listen, to gain wisdom. And he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Yes, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. He says, bind and write. Bind and write. He's using words that are, are, are sort of active, that are, are, are trying to like communicate the steadfast love and faithfulness He's saying, go out of your way to make those two things deep, deep down inside of you, all the way down to your heart. Bind it around your neck. <laughs> like whatever you need to do so that this is always in front of your mind in the center of what you're doing. 
steadfast love and faithfulness. Bind and write those things. And I think you have to start there. You have to start there. And you might say, well, how do I start with steadfast love and with faithfulness? That, that word steadfast love is, is all over the Old Testament. Um, it's, we've referenced it before. It's, it comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It's just, it's like God's covenant commitment to you. Like he's committed to you. Amen. He's com- and, uh, and Lamentations um, is like the most depressing book in the entire Bible. It's just, just discouraging to read. But right in the middle, what we see on every Instagram post is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day. Like that's like the most, you know, that's super quoted. But the idea is that regardless of how depressing things are, regardless of how crazy things are, regardless of what's going on around us, the, the, the king, Jesus right here is saying, trust me, I'm committed to you. You have to believe that at the deepest level. Amen. You have to believe that you're an heir to the throne because of Jesus's commitment to you, because of what he's done. You have to believe that no matter what foolishness you've got yourself into, it hasn't changed God's steadfast love for you. Amen. You have to believe that at the, whatever decision you're looking for, whatever thing that's taking away your peace, whatever is just making life more complicated, if you don't believe at the, at the beginning of that, that God is utterly committed to you, it's gonna be hard after that. Like it has to start there. It has to start there. Thinking about how that has like given me a measure of peace. If I'm learning from the genius of Jesus and he's just saying, look, first of all, believe that I'm committed to you. Believe in the steadfast love of the Lord. There's a lot of times where you're making a decision and you know, you want some wisdom, you want uh, some answers and you're going back and forth and it seems like there is no right answer. That just like paralyzes me. That's difficult for me. Where it's like, I need to just, I told Bridget yesterday, I had some time and I was like, I don't know what to do exactly with the next hour and a half. So I want to do something fun because I give up because I don't know the right answer. <laughs> just like, like, I just want to know what is the right thing to do. And then I will move forward with that, whatever that is. And life is complicated. Sometimes there are no wrong answers. Sometimes there's no right answers. And it's easy to get caught up in spinning about that and, and to have your peace just taken away. And I think what's encouraging is when you're in that kind of a situation, when you're, when you're paralyzed by what to do, Jesus is saying, it's fine. My son, listen to me. Daughter, I love you. I'm committed to you. No matter what you do, right or wrong, it's not gonna change my steadfast love for you. It's not gonna change my faithfulness to you. I am so committed to you. Amen. We have to start with that. We have to start with that. We have to believe the good news that what Jesus has done is why God is committed to you. Not what you can't figure out, not what's confusing today, not what you did wrong, 
but his commitment to you is because of what he has done. And he speaks to you as heirs. He speaks to you as his beloved children and says, look, I'm smarter than you. Let me help you. Believe that I'm committed to you. So from there, if we're going to learn from Jesus, if we're going to learn that he's committed to us and we're going to rest in that, we still have to make decisions every day. We still have to figure out how to use our time or what job to get or what classes to enroll in, how to deal with our children, conflict at work, whatever it is. Like, like we are, we're answering questions about what to do all the time. And so another fundamental thing that Jesus is trying to teach us that we probably hate the most to learn is to reject our own wisdom. Is <laughs> to admit that we're not the smartest. That we actually don't have a grip on things. Look at what he says. In verse five. He's like, listen to me. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust in Yahweh, the self-existent God, with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. It's very comprehensive. Don't rely on your own view of things. And trust in the one who is all sufficient, who is never changing, who is beyond our ability to comprehend. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And these are, these are parallel ideas. That say, and so so the, what does that mean? That means don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your view of things. Lean on God's view of things. He goes on kind of making the point. In all your ways, again, comprehensive, all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Amen. Not you. In all your ways, acknowledge what he is doing and he will handle it. He is the one that makes your path straight. It's not your wisdom. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I think there's two kind of ideas going on here and it's re repeating in those in those verses it's not saying forget everything you know and just float it's saying forget everything you know and embrace the lord and what he has said in everything in everything comprehensive all your ways all your heart God, God is saying, I'm, I've spoken with my word about you and about the world and about everything that's going on sufficiently to give you wisdom. And so you think about, well, where do I need to reject myself and acknowledge God? How's it, how's it look like to acknowledge God in, in, in all my ways, in everything? What does it look like to acknowledge him? And it's kind of like, oh, reject myself, you know? I don't know, that's kind of, you know, when I fail at stuff, I'm like, well, guess I shouldn't have leaned on my own understanding, you know, God's got this, you know. He's, he's saying, no, this is something you should actively do. 
actively acknowledge God in all the things that you do? And I think a question you can ask yourself is where are we, how do we find out where we're leaning on our own knowledge? If we're called to reject our own knowledge, how do we find out that that's what we're relying on? How do we find out that we're relying on ourselves more? And I think about some of the stressful things that are going on. Think about the areas of your life where it's just chaotic. And then think about the areas of your life where it's not stressful. Like, where are you just like, I've totally got this under control? Where is like, where is there a sphere in your life where you're like, man, I'm glad I don't have to worry about this? And it's good to have those. Everything shouldn't be chaotic. (laughs) But when you think about that, how much do you consider the Lord in that? How much do you acknowledge him in that thing? Whatever that thing is that's not going crazy. How much do you trust him with what's going on there? How much do you say, Lord, you've gifted me here. How can I consider you and honor you in this thing that I'm doing? that isn't going crazy. Because he's trying to be comprehensive here. He's saying, if you're gonna have wisdom from me, he's like, my son, listen to me. My heir, the one who I care about, who, who is growing up and I want to image me and reflect my glory and my majesty, I want you to rely on me in everything. And if, and if you're gonna say to me, well, I'll rely on you over here, when it's just going crazy and I need your help, but for the most part, I don't need you over here. I'm just handling it. Don't worry about it, Lord. You're not going to have wisdom. It's, it's a comprehensive statement. He's saying everything, everything you do, acknowledge me. Everything you do, have your heart fixed on glorifying me and honoring me. We're, we're, you need to find the places in your life where you rely so heavily on yourself because it's going to lead you astray. It's going it's to catch up with you. It's going to affect other parts of your life. He's like, I want everything. I want you to reject yourself in everything so that you can then acknowledge me in everything that you do. I think that encourages us to say, there there are parts of our lives where if we say, how do I acknowledge God here? It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to think through what it means to honor and acknowledge the Lord when I'm doing spreadsheets on Thursday afternoon. You know, that's okay. We're asking for wisdom. And we have a community where we can have conversations about these things and say, this is what it looks like to, to work heartily, as scripture would say, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Maybe there's a focus there. Maybe it's just worship and praise and considering him when we enjoy the things that we enjoy out in the mountains. How do, we, how do we reject ourselves and acknowledge him in everything so that we could also gain wisdom? So we could also gain wisdom. It's, um, it's, a little, it's a little difficult to hear uh, what God is saying when he speaks to us saying, hey, I know better, I'm smarter. I believe me. And we're like, but, there, but Lord, there's some, you know, there's some things over here. And Paul brings up this passage in Corinthians, and I thought it was helpful. Because it isn't this idea, we'll have that on the screen in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
it isn't this idea that we are just trying to demoralize ourselves. Like, he's not, you know, if I'm talking to my child uh, and I, I'm like, you know, jumping off the countertop when I'm not around is like not a safe thing, you know? He's looking at me like, you're no fun. How come, how come I can't do anything, you know? I'm like, no, I, I love you. <laughs> And I'm not always there to catch you, uh, and gravity exists, and I'm just trying to help you not bust your head open. <laughs> I, I want you to have wisdom so they give length of days and peace. Because <laughs> uh, when you just fly off and have, with no regards for the consequences, I, I, I feel for you, and I love you, and I care for you. And, and, and that's what it feels like God is sort of like, like beating us down by saying, reject yourself. And he's like, no, no, I know better. I just know better. I know your heart. I know that sin is deceitful. I know that you trick yourself into thinking that you're sufficient and I love you and I care for you and I just, I want you to proactively go after those places where you don't acknowledge me so that you could be wise, so that you could have my wisdom. I'm, I'm trying to share that with you. And that's, Paul kind of picks up on that idea in 1 Corinthians 3 and starting in verse 18, he says, hey, let no one deceive himself. Like, believe it or not, we can trick ourselves if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, if you're good at stuff in the, in the world we live in, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. Why? Verse 19, because the, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile, that they're useless. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Let no one boast in men. He's saying, look, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have peace and length of days. I want you to benefit from the genius of Jesus. And you deceive yourself into thinking that you have a grip on everything else that's going on in the world. You deceive yourself into thinking that, well, I'm good over here. I don't need the Lord. And he's like, that will catch up to you. You deceive yourself into thinking, if I just jump off this countertop, it'll be great. And maybe it is because I caught you a few times, but sometime you're gonna hit the floor. And he says, so therefore boast do not boast in me. Say, say, do not boast in the things that this world has to offer as wise because I know better and I'm trying to teach you what is true wisdom. If we go back to Proverbs, it makes sense then that if we're trying to learn from the genius of Jesus, we have to first believe he's committed to us. You have to believe that. because so we're gonna go all over the place. You have to believe that he's committed to you. You then have to reject your own wisdom. You have to recognize that you can be deceived and that you should acknowledge God in everything that you're doing. And that he, he's actually given us sufficient wisdom here. And part of that is, is rejecting ourselves. And, and what happens then when we have a measure of success, which it says even in verse seven, oh, I'm sorry, uh, it says in verse eight, rejecting yourself and acknowledging God, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It'll just feel good from the, at the deepest level when you recognize that you are actually foolish and God's wisdom is smarter than you 
It'll, it'll feel good. It'll be refreshing. Saying, so then the next thing then is to give credit where it's due. Give credit where it's due. And I think that's another kind of indicator of where our hearts are as it, as it relates to God. Like when we think about the things that we're good at, how often is God's glory and giving him credit for that in our head? When we think about the parts of our lives that we can handle that are not chaotic, how often do we consider God and thank him and worship him for how, what he's enabled us to do? So he says, give credit. Look at the verse, um, verse nine and 10. Let's just start with nine. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Here's what he's saying. So if you've rejected self and you believe that I'm committed to you and, and, and your honor and your desire is to honor me and to glorify me, if that's where your, your posture is at, when you see a measure of success, when, when, when you work in God's world the way that God has said for things to work, and you see a measure of success, who should get credit for that? Who should get credit for that? The Lord. Because he's the one that's working all these things out. He's the one that's imparting wisdom. He's the one that's committed to you. He's the one that's leaning down and saying, let me teach you my wisdom. And so when you listen and when you heed his wisdom and there's a measure of success that comes from that, saying you should give credit to me, the creator of all these things. And this idea of, of first fruits, there's um, uh, when, the, when, the, when, when the Israelites were, the, the crops were coming in for the year, there were, there were a measure of crops that sort of came first that then led to it was sort of like an indicator of like the rest that would to come. So you'd, so you'd have this, uh, you, what they would do is say, okay, we've gone all year waiting for this food to grow. And now that we finally have some, some food that's growing, we're gonna take that first fruits. We're gonna take the thing that we have that keeps us alive and we're gonna sacrifice it to the Lord and say, Lord, we trust you with the rest of what you are deciding to provide. Because we know that these things come from you. We're just giving them back to trust you. And so this idea of, of first fruits, even in the Old Testament era, and, and giving it as a, as a way to say, hey, God, I trust you with the rest, is sort of where even as we work into the New Testament, if you've heard the word tithing before, it's just this idea that if, as we look at our, our produce. Most of us don't farm and rely on, you know, how well the crops are going to do next year. Um, you know, Sarah's, if Sarah was still here, her parents have, you know, that's very more tied to her life than, than the rest of ours. Most of us, are, are the fruits of our labor is that paycheck that shows up twice a week or once a month or whatever. And, and what God is saying is, if you, if you trust me, you're going to give a portion because you know that I am the one that produces this. You know that I am the one that sustains you. You know that I am the one that is committed to you. So you're just, you're basically just giving some of the money to the Lord, which is where tithing comes from and saying, Lord, I'm trusting you with the rest because you're the one that sustains me. And, you know, I think it's easy to get hung up on the, the like financial aspect of this, but this principle applies everywhere. 
Like, where do you have success? Where, where do you have, uh, where, do you, where has God given you time because of things that he's done? And how can you give that to serve him? Where has God given you skills and talents? And you could say, Lord, you've given me this. You've given me this, not me. I haven't, I haven't done this on my own. This is a gift from you. How can I take this and use this for the benefit of others? How can I take what you have done in and through me and share it with other people so that you can get credit for it? So that you can get credit for it. So Jesus is telling us, it's interesting, in verse 10 he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Sounds like a a good picture. Vats full of wine, (laughs) barns overflowing. I have no concept of a barn, but (laughs) I I get the picture that's being painted. And I think they're, you know, when you read commentators on this, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this like prosperity gospel? Are we saying, well, if you do all the right things, God is going to make you rich. And I think there is a sense in which you have to accept this. If we are less foolish and more wise, I'm going to go out on a limb and say things will work out better in your life. (laughs) I hope that's not very controversial. (laughs) But if, if Jesus is speaking to us and saying, hey, you actually don't know. I know better, and I'm trying to help you along. I'm helping, trying to give you some wisdom. I'm trying to encourage you to give me credit for what I do in your life. If you are fixed on, and you're like, the things that God gives me, and I just want to give them back and so that he gets the glory, and he gets credit, and I, I, I'm made less, and he is made great. Do you think he wants more of that? I think he does. God wants more glory. God wants to be thought of as someone who is uh, uh, amazing and wonderful and where our hope is found and where, where we go for rest and for peace. And so there, we, we live in a broken world. We could go, this is Proverbs. This is like a whole bunch of little pithy statements on the way things should work. But we live in a broken world. So there's also the book of Ecclesiastes where you can do the things and it still kind of falls apart. And we know that God is, we start with this idea that God is committed to us. He is committed to us. So regardless of what falls apart, he's working through those things and shaping us into the image of his beloved son. But let's not be afraid of saying that if we give God more glory, if we listen to the genius of our Lord and Savior Jesus sitting on the throne and we reject our own wisdom, there will actually be fruit that comes from that. There will actually be produce in things that that come from acknowledging God in all of our ways. He will produce typically a measure of success in our wisdom as opposed to being foolish. Being less foolish leads to, as he starts out with, lengths of days and years of life. It's the reason why the uh, average lifespan for dudes is a little bit lower than girls. (laughs) because they're usually a little wiser and we die sooner. (laughs) So statistics bear this out for us. All right, so the final thing, the final thing is he tries to teach us, is he tries to give us wisdom. It's, uh, I said the other one was the hardest one. Maybe this is the hardest one. Verse 11 and 12, he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Now I have a, I wrote the definition of reproof on a slide, but I think it's, 
Hey, there we go. Reproof. Criticism for a fault. Who loves that? <laughs> so, it's just like, I loved how the Webster's Dictionary is just like so concise. It was like, criti- like, do you love it when I criticize you for a fault? Yeah, I don't. That's not, that's not where my heart is at. But he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of reproof. And I thought Psalm, or Proverbs 12 was another good one. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's what it says. 12.1, he who hates reproof, he who hates being criticized for a fault is stupid. Another one is 15.32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. That one's a little easier to swallow. He who listens to reproof gains intelligence. It makes sense. If we're criticized and we learn from that, we'll gain knowledge. There'll be a benefit there. But how many of us have caveats to how we're corrected? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, uh, Aaron, I'm fine with people correcting me, but they need to uh, make sure they remind me that uh, they don't know all the things. The, they need to ask me if they understand exactly the situation I was in. And they better be super smiley about it. And they can't say it off the cuff when I'm tired. I just can't. I need to be in the right mental headspace to hear it. Like, that's not loving reproof. That's like, I'm fine with reproof in the best of circumstances from my best of friends in no other scenario. I'm like, okay with reproof. And he's saying, you, you need to love reproof. You need to, if you want wisdom, if you want Jesus to teach you, you need to be okay with people criticizing you when you fail. And that's hard. But Jesus is using people in your life. He's using people in your life to, to help you. And sometimes their criticism is wrong. Like, I mean, we get criticized for things that are wrong. That's an opportunity for us to display the glory and image of Jesus and have a measure of humility and still love and care for the other person. How many times did Jesus get criticized while he was on this earth? How many of those times was he actually wrong? Right, zero. <laughs> So if we want to reflect the image of God, if we want to give God credit and give God glory for our worth, for our value, because he's the one who's ultimately committed to us, when we're criticized, we need to be okay with that. You love it. So I have an opportunity to display the glory and majesty of Christ to this person. And if they're way off base, my prayer is that my grace to them, my kindness to them, my care for them will actually draw them to the one I keep pointing to, who I'm trying to give credit to, which is God himself. Because at the end of the day, whatever criticism you have for me, uh, there's worse. There's worse. I'm probably worse than the worst things you have imagined about me. There, there are parts of my heart deep down that despise giving credit to God. There's parts of my life where I don't want to acknowledge the Lord in everything that I do. 
That's work. I reject him on so many different fronts. And yet he reminds me that he's committed to me. So when someone comes to me with a measure of criticism, I want to say, Lord, help me love criticism so that I can embrace you, so that I could love you more, so that I could reflect your image more to those around me. And if they're right about that, thank you, Lord, that you can teach me and give me more wisdom through that. Thank you, Lord, that someone else saw something I wasn't seeing. And so now I have insight into my own foolishness and can change course. I can turn from evil and I can reflect your glory and I can honor you more. I have an opportunity to gain wisdom. It doesn't matter how they brought it to me. It doesn't matter how smooth it was or wasn't. So Proverbs is trying to encourage us to recognize through that, that repetitive, my son, my son, my son. He's talking about the heirs to the throne. He's talking about all of you who are connected to Christ, who are in Christ. Proverbs is trying to encourage us to say, hey, I know better. I'm smarter than you. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I, I am risen from the dead and seated on the throne. And here I am through the book of Proverbs sharing my wisdom with you. And the more wisdom I share with you, the length of days you'll have, the peace you'll have, and the more scenarios. And he's saying, you know what it starts with? It starts with remembering that I'm committed to you. You have to remember that. You have to write that on the, the deepest recesses of your heart. I just encourage you, if you're thinking about that in prayer, and you say, Lord, the fact that you are committed to me is a fact I know, but does not encourage me. If it's a fact you know, and, the, and it does not encourage you, it doesn't stir your affections, plead with him to make that real. Pray and say, Father, help your love for me and your commitment for me to stir my heart so that I believe you, so I know that when I, when I stumble and fall, so I know that when I'm foolish, you are committed to me. Ask him for that. He, wa he, wants, he's, he wants to reprove you because he loves you. And just say, help me, help me have, have a sense of that, Lord. Help, help that in this situation that I'm in that's like very confusing. Help me rest and, and not give up praying about it until, until it makes sense to you and, you're, and you have a measure of peace and say, Lord, it doesn't matter which way I go. It doesn't matter what decision I make because I know that you're committed. I know that you're committed and you're gonna work in my life either way. And I think when we begin to see the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the, the gospel, the fact that Jesus is committed to us, it becomes easier then to reject ourselves. It becomes easier to put away those things. And as we see God work, as our vats become overflow with wine, if God actually works in our lives because we've rejected our own wisdom and we, and we have his wisdom, we give him more credit for it. We give him more credit for it and we're more thankful that he's so committed to us. And it humbles us and makes us more okay with reproof, makes us more okay with criticism. I would encourage you guys, um, there's like 31 chapters in, in Proverbs. It's an easy book to just read a chapter that's associated with the day. It's typically 31 days in a month. I probably do that half the time. So in, you know, a few months, I'll actually read all the chapters because it's never spot on. But Jesus is sharing wisdom with us in the book of Proverbs. Saying, Jesus is saying, I'm very smart and I want you to learn from me. It's a super practical book. 
how can you learn from him? How can you reject yourself and learn from him? Proverbs is an amazing book to do that. It's a super encouraging book. If it's the 18th of the month and you've got a few minutes, open your Bible and read chapter 18. It's not going to work out every morning, but it's going to be a great way to learn from the genius of Jesus. It's going to be a great way to, to be able to reject yourself and to see him as most glorious, most committed, and smarter than the rest of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are so smart. I thank you that you have created all things. You know all things. You are present with all things. Lord, you are everywhere and yet contained by nothing. And at the same time, you share with us your wisdom. You share with us the, the genius of who you are, Lord. And you're, you're coming alongside of us in the book of Proverbs and you're saying, I want to teach you my ways so you would have a length of days and peace. Lord, help us acknowledge you in everything. Help us reject ourselves. Help us believe deep down that you are so committed to your children, the, the heirs of your throne, Lord. Help us believe that so that we can love you more and gain a heart of wisdom. In your name I pray, amen.